Thank you. And open them to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Let me make sure this mic is on. Is it? Well, it looks like it's on. Can you hear me? Is that good? All right. Well, we're going to go with that. I'll speak loudly if necessary. But I'm so glad you're here tonight. What a wonderful group of people. I can't see very well out there, but I know you're out there. So uh, I'm just so delighted that you could be here this morning and also this afternoon. And uh, I, I want you to know, Sunday nights at First Baptist are going to be special. And uh, let me tell you why it's going to be special. Because we're going to come here and we're going to open God's Word. And we're going to see what God has to say to us. And we're going to be going through some Bible books. And one of the books we'll be going through is the book of Revelation. Uh, we'll be doing that uh, sometime. We'll begin that sometime this year. I haven't exactly decided, but that's going to be a fascinating book. And folks, I need your help, though. Here's what I need. I need you, you to pray, and I need you to invite and come. And we want to fill this place up every Sunday night. Sunday nights at First Baptist are going to be special. Amen? Amen. Well, hopefully now you found your way to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I invite you to stand with me as I read through this section of Scripture. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. Tonight's message is entitled, Living Above Your Circumstances. Let me begin to read now in verse 10. Paul writes here and he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have received your concern for me, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that you bless your word tonight. Speak through your servant to your people that we may learn your word and apply it in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't have to tell you that we live in a very stressful world. Recently, at least since 2008, we went through a time of 
of upheaval in our financial lives. As you well know, with the economy being so severely damaged, we have faced in recent years the threat of terrorism. And presently, we're going through a national political unrest that I've not seen in recent years. Not to mention that we have everyday trouble in home life as well as our work and school. If you ask the average person, how are you doing? More than likely, they're going to say something like this. Well, I guess I'm, going, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. But the question is, what are we doing living under the circumstances? God wants us to live above our circumstances. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, the Apostle Paul tells us how we can rise above the difficulties of our lives and live in victory. Now, some of you may be sitting there and you're thinking, well, what does the Apostle Paul know about my life? I mean, how can he speak to me from so many years ago? How could he possibly know the difficulty that I am facing? Keep in mind that when Paul wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was not vacationing in a condo on the beach sipping lemonade. He was not in a condo somewhere in the mountains. He was in a prison in Rome. He was being persecuted for preaching the gospel. And he knew that ultimately... Most likely, death was going to come. We know ultimately he was put to death for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to know that he understood what difficulty was all about. He knew what hardship was like. And he learned some things through that difficulty. And he's able to speak into our lives and the troubles that we face. And tonight as we look at this passage, I have identified five things from this text that will help us to live above our circumstances. Friend, I'm here to tell you tonight that God wants you to live above the circumstances of your life. He has a purpose and a will for you. And no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult it is, He has a plan for you to live in victory as a Christian. Now, would you like to live a victorious Christian life? Would you like to live above your circumstances and the trouble and trial and hardship that you face? Well, I want you to write these five things down, and I'm telling you, they're absolutely essential if you're going to rise above the difficulty that you face in your life. Here's the first thing. First of all, you must choose to rejoice. You have to choose to rejoice. That's what Paul does. Look at this passage again. Verse 10 tells us, but I rejoiced in the Lord. The means of Paul's rejoicing was the Lord. He was able to rejoice in difficulty because of his trust in and his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. His faith in the Lord Jesus enabled him to overcome any circumstance of life. Christ was his joy. We as Christians know what joy is like when we keep our eyes focused on Him no matter what turbulence we may face. We have that inner sense of peace. We have that inner calmness. 
We have that sense of joy no matter what the impending threat may be. We know that there is a life beyond this life. We know that Christ is in control of all things and he's going to navigate us through the difficulties of life and he will take us to be with him. So the means of our rejoicing is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know Christ, I want to urge you, don't wait till this service is over. It's too important. Call upon him right where you are seated. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the Savior who lived without sin, died on the cross as a substitute for my sin, and was raised in victory from the dead. And right now, I trust you to save me. And when you do that, Christ will forgive you of your sins and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will have eternal life. What a joy that is. So Christ is the means of our rejoicing. But also we see in verse 10 the measure of rejoicing. Look at it in verse 10 again if you would. But I rejoiced in the Lord how? Greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That is the measure of rejoicing. It's a great rejoicing. Paul, remember again, now don't forget, he's in prison. He's in a difficult place. He's under hardship. He's feeling stress. He's not sure what the ultimate outcome is going to be. But he is rejoicing in the Lord and it's a great rejoicing. That's the measure of it. And then notice the motive for his present rejoicing. There's a reason he cites here specifically for his rejoicing here before the Philippians. He says, if you would, in verse 10, the last part, he says that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What Paul is saying is that there was a time when they lost track of where he was. When they first met Paul, they first had their encounter with him, they, they had immediate affection for him. They loved him. They wanted to support his ministry, and they did. But in his travels and his imprisonment, they lost contact with him. And when they found out where he was, they immediately reached out to him to encourage him, to strengthen him, to support him. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know that God has used you to strengthen me. And I rejoice because of you. God had given Paul a reason to rejoice even beyond his salvation. And that was, there was a church, the church at Philippi, that loved Paul and they supported Paul. And it gave him a great deal of reason to rejoice. I like Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. It tells us, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Looking at a lot of God's people these days, it seems like they've taken the wrong medicine. Rather than uh, taking the good medicine that God has provided, I think they've taken a dose of castor oil. Now, some of you don't know what that is. I've never really tasted it, but I hear it's bad. I hear it's bad. But I also like the the passage in Psalm 118, verse 24, that tells us, This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have you ever wakened in the morning and you think, Man, I can't believe it's Monday again. And this is not going to be a good day. and, And things seem to be going wrong. 
Many times I will quote this verse. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That is, I'm going to choose to rejoice. You don't have to feel like rejoicing to rejoice. And I want to challenge you. Rejoice no matter what situation you're in. No matter the trial, the hardship. Rather than looking at the negative, look at the positive. You have reason to rejoice. Because Christ is the means of your rejoicing. The measure of your rejoicing should be great. And there are many reasons to rejoice. The motive for our rejoicing, certainly God has provided many reasons. And we need to reflect upon them. So we first of all must choose to rejoice. There's a second thing though I want you to see. And that is we must learn to be content. We must learn to be content. Look in verse 11 here. We see the secret of contentment. Paul says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul speaks about the secret of contentment here. He says, I've learned to be content. Now, when he says learn to be content, he's not saying I went to the library and checked out a book about how to have a happy life. He's saying I've learned from practical experience how to be content. From the difficulties of life, the Lord has brought me through. This tells me that there was a time in Paul's life where he didn't know how to be content. He had learned it. You may be in a place now, perhaps as a young person, and you find it difficult to be content. Maybe you're at a transition in life, and you're really not sure what you're going to do with your life. Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage, or you're having some financial problems. Or you find it difficulty to enjoy your work. There are, there's a whole list of reasons why we could cite that uh, we could be down and out. But there's a secret to contentment. And that is we learn through the process of time, no matter how difficult it is, the Lord will see us through. I can tell you some of the, some of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life have been through difficult times. Hard times, things that are disappointing, things that are stressful, things I have no control over, and they force me to rely on the Lord. And I discover in the midst of adversity that the Lord Jesus Christ is trustworthy. You know, it's one thing to read about his trustworthiness on the pages of Scripture, and that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But I can tell you, it's something else when you actually live it out in practical daily life. And you learn to be content in the difficulties of life. So that's the secret of contentment is learning that the Lord God is able to supply all that we need even in the midst of our difficulty. Then we see the satisfaction that comes from contentment. Verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He begins to expand upon what he says in verse 11, how that, that he's learned to be satisfied in the good times and the bad times. Folks, if you and I can ever get to that place where we can learn to be content no matter what the circumstances of life are, then we will have arrived where the Lord is pleased with our progress. You see, many of us respond to the circumstances of life. 
That is, if things are going our way, we feel good. We're happy. We're jolly. But if things take a turn for the worse, we get down and out. We get discouraged or depressed. It's like living on a roller coaster. There's no stability in that. What we must do is take our eyes off of our circumstances that are constantly changing. And keep our eyes on Christ who is the bedrock of our faith. I promise you if you're looking at your circumstances to find peace. You will not find it for very long because they will change. Just like the wind is constantly changing directions. So too our circumstances are in a constant state of flux. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He will give us the strength we need and we learn to be content by following him. Now, some people are like thermometers. They uh, allow their surroundings to control them. They go up and down according to the temperature. Others are like thermostats in that they are not controlled by their circumstances. They help to change things for the better By their very presence. Now when you begin to think about your life. And who you are. And how you deal with difficulty. Are you a thermometer? Are you a thermostat? God does not want us to allow the circumstances to master us. Rather he wants us to be used. In this world to make a difference for him. For the better. No matter what we're facing. No matter the trial or the frustration in our lives. So I want to say to you, choose to rejoice. Learn to be content. And then thirdly, rely on God's strength. Rely on God's strength. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Strength is supplied. For we read in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't know that there's another verse in all the Bible that's more taken out of context than that verse. People, they quote that verse and they don't understand what he's talking about here. Paul, again, is in prison. He's suffering at the hands of his captors. Death could be coming, but yet he's learned to be content and he says, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying no matter if things are good or things are bad. I can do all things. If I'm well or if I'm sick. If I'm rich or if I'm poor. If I'm happy or if I'm sad. I can do all things. How? Through Christ. Why? He gives me strength to endure it. He provides everything I need to make it through life. This strength is supplied and also this strength is shared. Verse 14 tells us, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You see, God had used this church to impact Paul's life. He says, you have shared with me in my affliction. You've helped to bear my burden. You've helped to lift me up. Folks, let me tell you, that's another good reason why we need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray together. We need to support each other. We need to share our gifts with each other. And and that's why I'm so glad you've not missed an opportunity to be here tonight. Because see, by the very fact that you've come together with other believers, you are going to encourage people around you. 
by the exercising of your giftedness, how God has used you in the past and will continue to use you in the future will impact the lives of people around you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You think, oh, I can never be used by God. I'm, I'm not much of anything. I don't have any gifts and I just don't have any strength and nobody cares about me. Friend, that is a lie from the devil. God created you in his image. He's gifted you at the moment of your salvation. He's placed you here in this fellowship. Many of you have encouraged me, even tonight, just walking through the crowd, talking to people. Your friendly smile, your words of encouragement have strengthened me. And Paul's commending these believers. He's saying, you've shared with me. You've helped to bear my burden. You've lifted me up. We need each other and God uses his people to strengthen one another. And then as we're strengthened, let's share that with the people around us so they too can be strengthened. When I was a kid, I enjoyed playing with, with uh, toy trains. I guess all kids do. Uh, for the train to run, you needed a locomotive. Uh, this is the power source behind the train. Now, the other cars of the train can only move when they're attached to the power source, the locomotive. Now, if you detach them, they can't move forward. In like manner, our source of strength is God expressed through us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, and the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can only move when we are connected to him. We also need to share his strength by being connected to other people. You see, the Lord is moving us forward. And as we're attached to him, we're connected to him and we're connected to one another. It's just like we were talking about this morning. We move together as one, as the body, unified, moving forward, doing the work of God and bringing glory to him strengthening each other in the process and rejoicing all along the way. So we must rely upon his strength. Now, it's so common for us to rely upon our own strength, isn't it? Do you do that sometimes? Rely upon your own strength? Let's rely upon the Lord. As a matter of fact, as the pastor here, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do some things for God that only God can accomplish through you. You know, sometimes we set, we set the bar too low and we, we, we do only things that we know we can accomplish. Folks, let's do some things as a church that only God can accomplish. And, let, and let's rejoice over what he's going to do here. Let's begin to praise him and worship him. And uh, thank you, Brother BJ, for leading us in worship. Appreciate all the musicians and the choir. We, we've talked about this, haven't we, uh, recently? Brother BJ, we're looking forward to doubling this choir up here and getting more musicians up here. And you say, well, where are we going to get those? You're sitting out there right now. Well, we're going to get you from, from out there and up here and create more space out there. And, and it'll give us an opportunity to worship the Lord even in a grander way. So we're excited about that. So rely upon the strength of the Lord. And then there's a fourth thing, fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with other believers. The blessing of fellowship is mentioned in verses 15 and 16. It says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift. 
more than once for my needs. Oh, the blessing of fellowship. How we're able, and we talked about, kind of alluded to this a moment ago, but how important it is that we are bound together in the faith. Sometimes we think fellowship is, is just slapping each other on the back and saying, how you doing today? And, and that's fine, nothing wrong with that. But fellowship is much deeper than that. Fellowship is when we bear one another's burdens. We come alongside and we, we help each other. We encourage one another. We see a need, we want to move in and try to meet that need. We want to help somebody along. We want to stand with one another in the good times and the bad times. We want to rejoice when people are rejoicing and weep with people when they are in sorrow. That's the type of fellowship Paul's speaking about. He says, you came alongside of me and encouraged me with a gift when no one else was present. I had no one else on this earth to support me, but you supported me. That's the blessing of fellowship. And notice the bond of fellowship, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which is increases, which increases to your account. He says, the gift was great, and I appreciate that, but there's a greater thing involved. And that is that you helping me has taken the notice of God. And God is going to bless you and has already begun to bless you because of your faithfulness to give. Uh, we received the offering just to... A little while ago, and uh, many of you gave, and and uh, you know sometimes uh, we, we drop something in the offering and and we we give, but but you need to understand when you give, you're impacting lives. You're not just uh, helping this church maintain the building and all the rest, which that's a part of it, but it's it's larger than that. You're influencing the world. Many thousands of people will be impacted by those gifts. And Paul's mentioned here that when you give, yeah, yes, it's a, it's a help, but, but you need to understand that God is going to bless you because of your faithfulness. And he also speaks about the bounty that comes from fellowship, verses 18 and 19. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He begins to use some terminology here that has to do with the sacrificial system. And they understood that. And and he talked about this sweet-smelling aroma like of incense that's burning in the temple. And its intent is to represent the worship of God and honoring to the Lord. That's rising up to God. And he says that what you're doing, the work you're doing, the help you're providing, the encouragement you're sending. All of this is a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord and to Paul himself. He's saying that you're impacting others. It's a bountiful supply that you're providing through your fellowship. Fellowship is so important. And I've discovered the older that I get that more and more people in our day are looking for fellowship. You know, we're connected through social media more than ever, but we're disconnected when it comes to real authentic relationships. People need relationships. You need relationships. That's one of the great values of our small groups here at First Baptist. Uh, We're going to really be giving attention to our Sunday school ministry and and growing our Sunday school ministry. And we appreciate the, 
that uh, we have such a good structure in place already, but we really want to expand upon that and provide training and teaching and add new classes. Why? So we can impact more people's lives. So we can, we can minister to them more effectively. So we can show the love of Christ and provide that fellowship that is so important. We need to do it together as a fellowship of believers, working together, serving together, worshiping together. No one can go it alone, as I mentioned this morning. We must work together. I've been told that one horse can pull six tons. However, put two horses together and they can pull up to 36 tons. That is a team of two Horses working together can pull six times more than one horse. It is time for God's people to learn that that we need each other. and, And if we work together and serve together and fellowship together, we can accomplish far greater together than we could ever do alone. We need each other to get through the hard times as well. We need to pull together. We need to pray for one another. We need to do much more and can do much more. And then finally, one, one final thing I want to tell you. And that is, if you're going to live above your circumstances, you have to worship before the Lord. Look in verse 20. He speaks about uh, to whom we address worship. He says, now to our God and Father. That's the focus. The Lord God Almighty, He and He alone deserves our worship and our praise. As we come into this place and we we open up our voices and uh, sing out to the Lord and we play our instruments. All of this, it's not a show, it's not entertainment. It is worship that is to come from our hearts and rise up to the Lord. And this is worship expressed for he goes on and says, To this great God of ours be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are to express praise and worship to God for all that he has done. And as we worship him, that in itself will be a source of great strength for us and encouragement for us and joy for us because we were created to worship God. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, Jesus is walking on the water and uh, the disciples see him and Peter cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, if it is you, command me. And protect me and provide for me to come to you so I, can, so I can be with you. Jesus said to Peter, come. And Peter steps out on the billows and he begins to walk on the water. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he's doing fine. But Peter, like many of us, began to look at his circumstances. He took his eyes off of Jesus and, and saw the waves around him. And immediately he began to sink And he cried out and Jesus reached down and grabbed him and pulled him up. What a picture that is for us today in that as we walk through this life, sometimes the circumstances can seem to be unbearable. And rather than focusing on the Lord, we get to looking at the trouble we're facing and the hard times that are coming and what may happen, what has happened. And we get overwhelmed. What I want to challenge you to do tonight, just to sum this up, is to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And I know some of you are going through some difficult times. 
Some of you have come tonight listening because you need a word. Maybe some of you are on the very verge of giving up. You just want to quit. You think, I've tried so hard and so long, I don't think there's any help for me. Friend, don't believe that. Don't believe that. Maybe you're an older person tonight and, and, and you're lonely. You feel like you're all alone and no one really cares. Perhaps you're a young person here tonight and, and you're struggling as well. You're trying to find your way in the world and, and you, you wonder if you have a place. I'm telling you, look around. You have people who care about you in this church. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Rise above the circumstance and keep moving forward for the glory of God. Dear Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight, a word of encouragement to your people. I pray, Father, that they will be lifted up and strengthened. And I pray that this week will be a different week for them. Rather than looking at their problems, I pray they'll keep their eyes upon you. And for those who don't know you, I pray that tonight they will come to faith in Christ before it's eternally too late. Father, we thank you for your love and grace, and we thank you for your mercy. Now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear people, I'm going to be standing right down here. If, if you have a need in your life, some way I can help you, you please come and share that with me. Maybe 